0: you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company then you're in the right place welcome to the retail transformation show with me Oliver Banks welcome to the retail transformation Show. this one is episode 69, and I am your host, Oliver Banks. It's a pleasure, as always, to be here with you today. Now, in the last episode, I started a conversation with Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard, who are the co-founders of a new company, a startup called Uncrowd, and they're looking to uncover the reason why customers would choose to shop with your company or shop with a competitor. What's going on in their head that goes into that decision? And how can you appeal to what really matters to them to make sure that they do shop with you and you win customers? So if you've not had a chance to listen to episode 68 yet, then I do encourage you to start there. And then in this episode, we're going to be diving into how exactly they propose to do that using a balance of friction and reward. And in fact, Richard Hammond is the guy that wrote the book on friction reward. Literally, his book is called Friction Reward Be Your Customer's First Choice, and it's available now in all good bookstores. So, do go and check that out. It's a great read. There's lots and lots of detail. As you're going to hear in the episode, there's a huge amount to consume and lots to really challenge what you are thinking about as well. Just before we jump into this one, a quick reminder if you've not checked out Retail Week Live 2020, then I do really encourage it. If you are wanting to understand the customer shopping trip and what is going on in the world of retail, then you've got to be there. There are some amazing speakers really sharing some expert opinion and insight that you're not going to want to miss out on. And there are tons of people to network with and really engage with. It's a really friendly atmosphere. I'm going to be there. It would be great to catch up with you if you are going. It's on the 25th and 26th of March. So do go and check it out. If you've not already done so, live.retail-week.com. And remember to use the code RTS15 to save yourself 15% off your ticket price. And that's because the Retail Transformation Show is a proud media partner for the event for Retail Week Live. So I do encourage you to check that out. And I look forward to seeing you there. Do let me know if you are coming. Like I say, it would be amazing to catch up with you. Now, let's jump into the conversation with Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard. Show notes are available over at obandco.uk slash 69. Now, it's a little longer than normal, I will be honest, but there are a ton of gold nuggets in there waiting for you. So I do hope that you enjoy them. I'll see you on the other side. Right, Richard, Rocky, welcome back to the Retail Transformation Show. How are you guys doing?
1: We're doing great, uh, Oliver. Uh, So much has has, has happened since we last spoke to you. It's It's been too long. been too long. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. I mean, last week in the episode, we were exploring more about what's going on in the world of retail. And we uncovered two really big, important themes, which was the idea of a friction debt and a reward. Just very briefly, refresh our memory as to what we mean by those.
1: Yeah, so a while ago now, I suppose it was four years ago. As a an observer of retail, I was troubled by the fact that we didn't have a metric to be able to tell us why a customer might choose one retailer instead of another retailer. Seemed like a fundamental, holy grail kind of question. And so I set about for my last smart retail book, published in 2017. I wanted to see if there were psychologies, maths, techniques ideas, whatever it might be, somewhere in the ether that could be applied to try and help us understand that. And it turned out that there was, and it's tied up very tightly in this, uh, these two words, friction and reward, and I'll explain where they fit in a second. But what we essentially discovered, uh, and this was long before Rocky and I got together to start the Uncrowd business, this was as a totally neutral independent observer to try and see if we could, we, we could uncover these things. It turns out that if you're able to understand all of the effort, all of the things a customer has to push through to transact with with a with a particular retail in a particular way, if you can understand that full set, and if you can then understand what benefit, what what gain they make from transacting with you in that particular way, that full set of of, of, of gains, if you can find those two full sets of variables well, then you can start to break down each one of those individual variables, individual elements, and measure them. If you can measure those two sets, then you can start to compare them against competitors' performance in those two sets of variables. And suddenly it became very clear that if you could measure friction, everything in the way of the customer and reward, everything the customer gains, then you have a comparative metric that is able to tell you the likelihood of one set of experiences being more attractive than another set of experiences. Now, that, as a, as a surface idea, was quite straightforward. But what I did was I then built on top of uh, two sets of thinking. The first was uh, economic utility theory, which is a 200-year-old economic and, and mathematical idea, okay. which is about how gain, uh, the value of gain needs to outstrip the effort to obtain it, which is a, a quite mechanical thing. But I combined that with what I'd started to learn around Danny Kahneman and Amos Tversky's work on two-system thinking, the idea that we have a conscious, in fact, Kahneman tells you off using conscious and unconscious, but we have a fast decision-making process and we have a slower considered decision-making process and that both those processes work in distinctly different ways. If you combine those two sets of theories with various bits of, of, of interesting maths, you come up with an algorithm essentially that can do a very distinct but very straightforward thing, which is say, if a customer's trying to do X and they're in mind state Y, if we then know what they have to push through, all the frictions they have to get through, and we know all the rewards they'll gain from doing so, we can fairly comfortably and accurately make a really good judgment of which option they're more likely to pick out of a range of options now that doesn't say that instantly if you're lower friction and higher reward than your alternative that every single customer is going to transfer over immediately to you instead of somebody else but it tells you where the flow of customers are likely to run which direction the river is going to go Mm. it's a bit like crystal ball it's a bit like being able to say if i can get my service proposition to the point, my customer experience to the point where I am lower friction and higher reward than the alternative, or the same friction but higher reward, uh, or lower friction but lower reward. These are all valid k- kind of a combination states. If I can do that, then I can start to communicate against that and bring more customers to my side than the alternative. And over time, the customer flow becomes positive towards you. And it's a bit like having a crystal ball, because essentially what you're saying is I can now see the future a year, two years ahead once that flow of customers is completed. Well, what an incredibly powerful thing to be able to structure decision making transformation and strategy against is knowing your future. Absolutely. I can totally see the value in looking at the different
0: elements that give you reward and the different elements that give you friction, good points, bad points, and balancing them off. How on earth would you you work out I've had a good point, I've got a good, I don't know, a, a good price, a good promotion. But then a bad point is I've had to queue up to to get it. How how do we know if those are equal or which one is, is more important?
2: That's the key word you use there is balance. It's one thing that has been commonly chased by retailers is is to make the shopping experience easier and remove friction as the, as the one and only focus. Yeah, and it's a big buzzword,
0: yeah.
2: Yeah, what we found more often than we expected was that, you know, there are unavoidable frictions in retailers all over the place. And you can, you can carry on banging your head against a brick wall, trying to make it easier and easier. But ultimately, you're still going to get beaten by retailers that don't have those same frictions inherently within them. So, you know, sometimes what we're finding is that leave the frictions as they are, focus on the reward side of things, address the balance that way. So it's still a tricky place to shop. But if you make the reward to a certain level and get that balance just right, that moment you tip that balance in favor of your option, then that's when the customers start to flow. Right. There's a really good example of this, Oliver, that that, that we
1: use uh, quite a lot, which is an incredibly successful laundry detergent brand is Aldi's own brand, Almat. Yes. Well, this is laundry detergent that you can't buy online. You have to visit a store to buy. Quite often, you have to queue for it. The car park might be a bit of all those things we know and love about, about Aldi. And yet it has a very high market share. The reason for that is, although the friction to buy Almat is quite high, it's low price, it's really high performance, and actually it's quite easy to select on the shelf because that narrow choice makes it much more straightforward to say, that's the one that I need to put in my basket right now. A slightly different version, but on the same theme, Selfridges. Selfridges is a store where... Almost everything in that store can be bought cheaper and easier elsewhere, almost everything. And yet the store flourishes because customers are excited by the reward side of the equation at Selfridges, the inspiration, the innovation, the high fashion, the feel of walking down the street with the yellow bag in their hands. Selfridges delivers on a promise in such a strong way on the reward side that it becomes worth getting on a bus or getting in a taxi and going and physically visiting that space and fighting your way around it so it's very much about finding those balances and the key part of this is if you know what mind state the customer is in and we have really interesting tools to pick that up and it's really straightforward if you know what mind state the customer is in and what's important to the customer in that mission then it's really straightforward to say this customer we can see
2: from the numbers wants this 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 and this and then this, it's that point that uncovers the biggest question that we come across whenever we talk about um, our platform is where does the data come from? How do you know how people are feeling when you're in the shops and how people are, you know, what their mood is and all of these various other mm. things? How do you actually get that data? And what we've done is actually really interesting in that we found that, am going back to what I was saying last week about the big data and, and all of these sort of things, we found a data structure and a way of collecting data. That minimizes the need for big data and focuses on customer behavior in a very different way. And what that is, is that we don't chase the individual customer. We concentrate on the two things that Richard mentioned earlier, which is the actual shopping mission and the collection of mood states that exist within the business. Without going into too much detail, in in collecting those sort of levels of data, we're able to paint a really vivid picture of customer likelihood for behavior. So you can really take a
0: customer as a as a person rather than as a, a group. And you can think about everything from their perspective. So, you know, if you're going into a supermarket and you're wanting to pick up, you know, a quick sandwich, you want to get in and out because you've got, got to get back to the office, whatever. That is one mission versus wanting to do a weekly shop or something, you know.
1: This is the critical thing, Oliver, is that that's very typical of the kind of assumptions that that have been made in the past but the mission might be pick up a sandwich for lunch but there will be one group of need states that are people who are very habitual maybe not very socially aware who are on an extreme budget and those people will buy completely differently than the same person that, sorry than a person on that that same mission who is very concerned by sustainability who is less price sensitive who maybe is more uh, curious and likely to, to change their behaviours. So you have the same sandwich rack, but you have two groups of need states on the same mission who will engage completely differently with it. And that's the critical thing of, uh, in our thinking is we think that the focus on trying to say, can I understand Oliver Banks as an individual customer and can I ensure that everything I do in my retail business is tuned to Oliver Banks' way of shopping and Oliver Banks' shopping missions, his critical visits. Mm. And if I can, what what character is Oliver Banks? What is he like? His postcode is this. He's recently renovated his house. So maybe we can glean some information about that. Um, We know from his Tesco club card that his baskets tend to have this stuff in it and whatever it might be. Sure. And then what happens traditionally is they say, right, Oliver is this type of customer. That's horseshit because you're a different type of customer all day long. The customer you are when you wake up in the morning will sometimes be different from the customer you are after you've just read a post about uh, the, the the perils of palm oil. Mm. That's different from the customer who got a call from his partner who said, Oliver, we've got friends coming around tonight. We need to, to, to get something decent in for dessert tonight. You're, you're a different... The way you buy those things in those situations is changing all day long. So instead of trying to work out who Oliver Banks is, it's way more powerful and effective to say, what groups of need states exist around my business, regardless of which individuals are in those need states at a given time? This is a really big deal. This this is, you know, forget Uncrowd for a minute. Come right back to me as a retailer. This for me is the breakthrough at the heart of being able to use friction and reward to understand how to create. Experiences that will will win you shopper missions instead of your competitors, if you stop trying to say this person's an ABC one with a BMW and this education and blah 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 blah, and that interaction with us in the past, stop doing that, instead say right, who's trying to achieve what missions and how do they feel, and how many of them are there around the business and what we 're finding is we're doing that for real clients. Is that these groups of need states are actually more common than you think across different retailers. So, most retailers will have a group of people who are in need state group X and need state group Y. And we build these groups based from the individual elements. So, we can vary those to your absolute heart's content. And we found it very straightforward to either use a a simple cluster analysis from existing uh, knowledge of customer uh, and audience, right the way through to being able to map over some beautifully elegant work that uh retail is existing research partners have done on their customer attitudes and customer needs states so once you've done that that's the breakthrough i can see that i mean that's a that's
0: a really big shift isn't it to to go from that mindset of you know demographic b blah, 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 to this very different uh i suppose you have a, a suite of customers as well that you know not everyone is obviously f- feeling the same and on the same mission you've got a whole a whole matrix of of that that you would then need to optimizing for one uncrowd, which is what you guys call them, right?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's very different to optimizing for another one, yeah. That was a bit of serendipity on our part. We we have no idea. None of us can remember where the name uncrowd came from. It, oh really? It, <laughs> no, we, we it just it was on a blackboard somewhere, and um, suddenly we're uncrowd, and and we've registered the company and. It's kind of disappeared into the mists of time. Um, (laughs) What an origin story, eh? (laughs) (laughs) We don't know. We then realize that um, our way of looking at segmentation is actually about groups of people who are never normally put together. They're an uncrowd, Right. And there's an example we use which might cast some light on this, which is you imagine you're a big, hairy biker. You're a member of a biker gang. You're a proper um, hardcore, you know, whatever it might be. And um, you're thinking about buying a new knife. And compare that person to a vicar who's just thinking about buying her new vestments. Mm. Both of those people, when they're buying those two products, may well do so in a very similar mind state. They both want to represent themselves in this purchase. They both want to touch and feel this purchase because it's critical to how they go about their personal actualization. They're both not very price sensitive because it's such an important purchase to them. They both want uh, to convey status through it. They'll both take their time over the purchase. They'll both study the alternatives and maybe talk to friends and, and look at reviews of, of you know the cuttiest knife on the shelf and the, the best place to go and get fitted for your, for your vestments in. Hmm. But you'd never see them in the same traditional marketing segment despite the fact that both of them Will exhibit exactly the same set of buying behaviors when they go to make that purchase, and that for me is the heart of this.
0: That's really essential. It's a really important point there for people to grasp and consider how different that is. Because yeah, yeah, you'd you'd never put you know the biker and the vicar together as a as a, as a mindset of this is who we want to be thinking about as our customer, but yeah. The, the, the process and the thoughts and the, the emotions of shopping can run through both of those people in the same way.
1: Yeah, and and, and that biker gang guy, uh, back to your example of the, the lunchtime of sandwich, he's got his bike parked outside, he trusts his lock for only so long, and uh, he's got five five minutes, he'll come in and grab sustenance maybe, his, his need state. But his mate in the same gang might be the one that likes to have a different sandwich every day is uh, going to take a little bit longer over his purchase. You know, it's, it's trying to unravel that by trying to do it via the individual up is ludicrous. It's not possible. Personalization is a different thing, incidentally. a big fan of personalization. That's one of the many variables of reward, incidentally. A really good personalized experience can have a very strong impact on the reward side of the equation. But that's that's personalized to do a different thing. That's personalized to be able to show that you you know the needs uh, wants and problems that that person is trying to solve, and that you have triggers within your customer experience that allow people to feel they have a personalised experience. But trying to say of these seven million customers, let's work upwards from those seven million to try and find out who we've got in front of us at any one moment in time is is, is just ludicrous. But then the, the the bit of this that's important is the the bit about what we then do with those uh, missions and uncrowds. Mm. And that's to say, okay, if I'm trying to do this shopping mission and I'm in this uncrowd, what value do I then place on the frictions and rewards in front of me? And that's the way our platform is so, so spectacularly clever around is that our data science, our maths is weighting every single part of that relationship. So queuing in some missions is more important and more valuable and more of a friction than in other missions. But equally, queuing is then affected differently and modified differently by the need state that a customer is in within that mission. And it's producing easy answers to that elegant set of relationships that's at the heart of what we've done with the platform. So essentially, what we're able to do in in the shortest sense of it is, if you're a retailer and you've worked out what your most important shopper missions are, our platform can tell you how to win each one of those shopper missions versus your competitors, and then exactly which of the individual friction and reward levers you need to move, and to what extent you need to move them to be able to have the more attractive offer and experience than your competitor. And that really is the holy grail stuff. That's 100x, that's next generation customer analytics. That's really massive,
0: also because it's a model, right? It hasn't yet happened. So you can play around it's probably not the right word but let's go with it you can play around with what this would how how you could set up your operation and your entire business to see actually is this going to be good for the different uncrowds these these groups of people that you wouldn't normally put together and actually how is that going to work and which where can i off balance i don't need to trial it and wait for my mps results to come in and maybe tell me the answer exactly desktop model it all right that's 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 amazing
1: That's exactly how we've set the platform up is that you essentially look at your position relative to your competitors, take a snapshot. Once you're happy with the model that you've created, we hold your hand throughout the process of then innovating in each of those individual elements. So we show you in that snapshot these are the seven gaps you've identified. This is the value of each one of those individual gaps. This is the distance you need to run to close those gaps. And here is exactly how you go about working through that, that process. And what's interesting about that is it then renders what sounds in a half-hour conversation like quite a complex idea, it renders it into direct, actionable, changeable strategy. And we, we recognised, this is, this is kind of an interesting point, Rocky and I both recognised that because what we're doing is so different, it wouldn't be enough to just provide the analytics. We'd have to provide a platform that is a full innovation solution that not only tells you where the opportunities to improve and narrow gaps and so on exist, but it also holds your team's hands through the process of exploiting that knowledge. So we've built that into the very heart uh, fundamentally. And we've done some interesting testing on it as well because we're a startup, so we're early days. The list of clients that we're having active conversations with is retail royalty. And we haven't actually gone out to the market yet and said, right, uh, we're ready to sell to you. All of this has come through word of mouth and through relationships with the likes of Microsoft, who we're deeply grateful for a superb partnership with. Those retailers are are all looking at helping us prove out some of these theories. But what we've also done is we've done some testing where we've said, right, OK, who has transformed their business? What did they do? What are their numbers today? And we've then compared them with their numbers from the past. And one of those we've done this with um, in the last week is Body Shop, Okay, where we've said, why are Body Shop now winning customers back from Lush? And we've run the Frictional Reward Indexing, and it's shown us exactly where they're winning customers back from Lush. It's around issues of improving trust, improving their authenticity, really proving out their sustainability credentials, um, improving the clarity of the offer it's now people understand what body shop stands for again it, it's it's a clearer shop so it's easier to buy in that situation so i've identified, identified all those variables versus where they were in 2009 uh 10 years ago now what's interesting about it is from a, a retail observer's point of view you look at this and you say well it's obvious exactly of course that's what they needed to improve to be able to start beating body uh, start beating lush and So if it was that obvious, wouldn't it have been nice to have done it 10 years ago? And that's the thing about this platform, this approach, friction reward indexing, is if we'd have run that in 2009, it would have said, these are the variables that you need to, the the gaps, these are the gaps that you need to innovate in. And we'd have been having this conversation about body shop two years after that. In 2011, we'd have been talking about the body shop recovery. Mm. And that's the thing is that, Essentially, where, where where analytics like Net Promoter Score says you know there's a fire and then leaves you to it, what Frictional Reward Indexing does and how I've, I've built this out from the start is it says, look, there is a fire, but it's there, 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 and there. That one needs 20% of your water. That one needs 40% of your water. And actually, this one, you can let that one burn because it turns out customers aren't that fussed about that one in these key shop emissions. And it's very precise. In guiding you through. And it's also saying, you know, oh, by the way, there are also some rainbows over here with some pots of gold underneath here, here and here. Well, you know, we we have a phrase that we've started using with in our conversations now, which is, it's much easier to find treasure when you know exactly where it is. (laughs) I like that. It says there's treasure there, dig there, that's where to dig. And that's something that that I think we'll see a lot more going more generally again, I I think we'll see this next generation of customer analytics will start to do uh, start to answer those questions, not just from us, but from other people too. And I've made the friction versus reward metric, the metric that underpins friction reward indexing, I've made it available to everybody in my current book, Friction Reward: uh, Be the Customer's First Choice. Because I want other people to benefit from it. I've laid out all the principles of how to use it. We're the best exploitation of it right now, and the two global experts in friction reward indexing are on the call with you now, Oliver. But we want there to be more because that way. The theory will grow, the proofs will grow, and the opportunity to to benefit retail from it will grow and That's what I'm here for, and what Rocky's here for is we're retailers, we love this industry we want to to make it easier for our colleagues in this industry to build out the businesses that at the beginning of part one of this podcast we talked about, which is to build the most engaging, relevant, exciting, attractive, and viable customer experience is possible we want our industry to have as many tools to do that as, as, as we can and you know i'm sitting here in this position right now i believe that a huge number of those will, will be provided by us but others will exploit it too and i'm delighted about that
0: i think that's just so exciting you know
1: <laughs>
0: i don't think we've ever had as an industry or in fact many other industries the ability to model something so complex So easily and in such a different way. It's really shifting the mindset, but also the approach of going through a transformation. And that could really be the difference between being body shop turning around 10 years ago rather than now. Or it could be the difference between ultimately, let's be honest, staying in business or not. Or it could be the evolution ready and waiting to happen. So, guys, this has been absolutely amazing. How can people find out more?
1: we have a full set of demonstrations that we can come and bring to our retailers at the moment get in touch with either me or rocky through linkedin or come and visit us at uncrowd.uk. Um, just uncrowd.uk, no cos or anything in that we're in a position at the moment where because so many retailers are coming to us and asking for us to explore their numbers with them we're having to be quite selective in our time, um, which, which feels like a lovely problem to have. But actually, we want to spread this with, with as many people as possible. But um, if you're a big retailer and you want to benefit from this, do talk to us, and we will make sure we're there for you. Um, it's also possible to, to transact directly from Microsoft Azure. So if you're a Microsoft Azure customer, you can go to something called the Azure Marketplace and find the Uncrowd listing, and you can actually buy licenses to our platform and uh, data packs for our platform directly from that listing from your existing Microsoft Azure contract and budget, which is quite a, a, a big deal.
0: That's huge. So if you've got Microsoft as an approved supplier, let's say, let's be honest, probably most companies do, then you can get into Uncrowd very easily, right?
1: You can. And and again, the, the same rule applies that we're being selective in, in who we can support at this early stage because we don't want to let anybody down. We want to make sure everybody we work with gets the best possible implementation of this platform that said we're ready to deliver it to to most of the people that are listening to your your podcast what the hell is a podcast <laughs> podcast? Um, <laughs> we're, we're ready um and uh, the, the tech is enterprise ready Rocky's team have done a, an extraordinary job on building this from the ground up and, and you know we can have it in a very short period of a few weeks after the uh, data pack is produced, we can have it ready for you to model your opportunities to win more shop emissions and start changing things.
0: That's massive, massive. And you make it so easy as long as, as, long
1: as you can get in and get some, get
0: some time from you guys, which is, uh, sounds like the bigger challenge, right? <laughs> That's the friction at the moment.
1: <laughs> the thing that we've done, and this is, a good, this is a really important point, we've built the platform so that you don't need us once you've got it so once you've got it everything you need is there at the moment it's about us uh, scaling over the next uh over the next year we're scaling up to be able to provide frankly more people to be able to handle more incoming clients um, but once you've got the platform you don't need consultancy you don't need anything you can buy those things from our, our success services roster if you want to and there's a lot of benefit in that but you don't need to have a rocky or a richard around this for you to be able to exploit it to the fullest. And that's, again, too much in analytics is about the provider of the analytics keeping the good stuff to themselves. So you constantly have to be asking them to do things. Nope, you get the platform. It's your toy. You get to, and Rocky's built it with play inherent to it, haven't you, Rock? But,
2: yeah, the, I mean, just very briefly, the so many of these analytic tools are, are, are dull to look at. The people are used to spreadsheets and just numbers what we've, we've tried to do is, is, and it's an overused term, but we've tried to gamify it slightly um, in that it's actually good fun to to get involved in the model, start moving the levers, start getting involved in um, you know, scenarios in your own head of what could happen, what you could improve, what you couldn't improve, and then coming out with some really solid results at the back of it. You want,
1: you want a user to be able to play about with it, to do a bit of modelling, and then go, yeah, in your face, Waitrose, because um, they've won the game, and that's how we've done it. Yeah. Not necessarily Waitrose, yeah. <laughs> the competitors also are not necessarily in Yeah,
0: no, but I get I, I, people get the idea, right? And do you have the demo game still up on
1: Uncrowd.uk? Oh, yes, uh, of which you are a seasoned winner. <laughs> um, the game is there to play, which just it embeds some of the principles of balancing friction or reward, um in a nicely gamified way. And we've got a couple of versions of that up, and we're delighted when people come in and play with that.
0: Absolutely. People should definitely go and head over uncrowd.uk or reach out to Richard and Rocky on LinkedIn. It's Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard. And if you want to go even deeper on this, then check out Richard's book, Friction Reward, Be Your Customer's First Choice. It's a great read and it really goes into detail on it. Um, surprising amount of detail as well, guys. So great job on that. Thank you so much, both of you. It's been really fantastic exploring all of this and thank you for for being so generous with your time uh, both in this episode and the last episode. It's been an absolute blast and I wish you tons of luck going forward. It's a, a real big game changer for our industry so thank you.
1: And thank you so much for your time and and thank you for the job you're doing in general of sharing approaches and ideas around transformation because you know we mean it when we say we love this industry and and you're part of of casting Usable light into it. So, thank you very much for that, Oliver.
0: Oh, well, thank you. Mutual appreciation there. (laughs) It's a nice ending. Thanks very much, guys. Have a great day.
1: More than welcome. Thanks, Thanks, Oliver. Bye bye now.
0: So, that was my conversation with Richard Hammond and Rocky Howard from Uncrowd. Is your mind blown? I have to be honest, mine is a little. There is so much interesting stuff in there. And if you've not checked out Richard's book, then do go and do that and have a look at the website. The game, as we alluded to, really gives you an indication of how powerful this tool and this mentality and this methodology can really be, looking at how to balance and trade off different elements of your operation to really excel at the customer experience. Do go and check that out. Find out about the game and a whole lot more over at uncrowd.uk And you can find the links on the show notes, which for today are obandco.uk slash 69. And a quick reminder as well. If you have not checked out my Retail Project Manager success program, then you absolutely must. Making change is essential to survive in our ever-changing world. And being able to effectively manage retail projects is so essential to being able to do that. It's the real essence. But actually, often, we assign these really important projects to people that are not project managers, right? Mistakes get made, projects run late, they come in over budget, or worse, frankly. A lot worse could happen as well. And you don't want to do that because you have not invested In your teams, in the project managers, by job title or not, if they're not able to manage projects, then that's not going to be a good strategy for you. So do go and check that out. You can find out a whole lot more over at obandco.uk/slash project. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you've not already done so, then do hit the subscribe button. There are new episodes coming out every single Monday. So make sure you do that now in your favorite podcast app. All that's left for me to do is to wish you a very good week and I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye for now.